Welcome to this week's Energy Show. Now, in addition to rooftop solar and battery storage, we're trying to help customers understand the concept of whole house electrification. Basically, it's replacing all of your gas appliances, including your car, with cleaner and more efficient electric appliances, things like heat pumps, EV chargers, and electric induction stoves, in addition to better HVAC controls and insulation. Now, it's hard to figure out where to start, even for an energy geek like me. I've been doing this for almost 40 years. Now, a traditional energy audit is good, but it's often inaccurate. The energy audit in my house, for example, told me to insulate my stucco walls, but it knew nothing about the local utility rates, the climate, and the really fast paybacks you get with rooftop solar. So I found a kindred soul, Steve Schmidt, in the energy audit industry. Steve's the founder of Home Energy Analytics. Now, they don't really do traditional energy audits. Instead, they partner with utilities to provide an online service that uses your smart utility meter data to figure out what's going on with energy in your house. Now, Steve's been running home energy analytics for over 10 years. He also has an MBA and a mechanical engineering degree like me uh, from Stanford. So welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks very much. All right. So tell us a little bit about what home energy analytics does. Gladly. So what we realized back in 2008 when PG&E started installing smart meters throughout the throughout our territory in our state is that you can learn an awful lot when you have good, detailed electric consumption data for a home. They coupled those electric smart meters with gas smart meters. So we know a home's energy use on an hourly basis, electric use on an hourly basis, and gas use on a daily basis. And what we do with that information is, is sorted into a bunch of different categories so that we can tell each homeowner and the resident where their energy is actually going and how it compares to other similar homes. So who are your customers? Are they utilities? Are they homeowners? Are they businesses? We've tried several different approaches and finally have what we hope is a long-term business model going forward. Homeowners generally don't want to pay for a service that just analyzes their energy use because they really want reductions. That's what they that's what they want to get to. So the newest movement in the state of California is a big movement towards pay for performance energy efficiency services. And we got the first such contract from PGE about two years ago in July of twenty seventeen. So PGE is our customer. They pay us, but they pay us an amount based on measured energy savings from uh, California residents who sign up for our service, go through the free service, make changes, often very inexpensive changes, and reduce their energy use from one year to the next. And we get paid based on how much energy they've saved. So do you work with individual contractors, or are you just basically saying, here's the before, here's the after, and you get a percentage of the improvement? Yeah, so we get paid, again, based on kilowatt hour saved and natural gas therms saved for a given house. And we have energy coaches, which is basically our customer support group, which who work with uh, residents that sign up for our services. And they can sometimes visit a house if there's uh, a, a good reason to do that. But often they're just responding to emailed questions, talking to them on the phone, making sure they understand what our online system tells them about their house, and not only describing where their energy use is going, but what are the simplest steps they can take. We follow the mantra that you need to understand your energy first and reduce it before you do things like add solar or storage. It's the reduce before you produce mantra from the California 
Energy Commission. Yep. So how are these services different and better than a traditional energy audit where you kind of walk around and count windows and look at the size of the house and what kind of furnace you have, et cetera? Why is your service better or easier? Well, it's definitely easier because it doesn't require anyone to come to the house. And it's better because energy use in homes has changed over the last 30 or 40 years. Traditionally, the most important thing to focus on was heating and cooling loads. So that's when houses were leaky, they didn't have a lot of insulation, they had single-pane windows, furnaces weren't very efficient, air conditioners weren't very efficient. Now, those things continue to get better and better, but at this point, especially in our climate, which is a mild climate, most of the energy being used by homes is not going to heating and cooling. In the Bay Area, where we have almost 10,000 homes that have gone through our system, we see that on average it's about 23% of a home's overall annual bill goes to heating and cooling energy. The big category, by far the biggest, and the growing category is what we call plug loads, and that's all the stuff that's plugged in around the house. And mitigating that or reducing the amount of plug load energy in a home is, is actually very simple. It doesn't require a contractor. It doesn't cost tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's kind of an insidious collection of death by a thousand cuts. I mean, that's what, you know, with the HVAC, it's like, boom, I I replace the furnace or solar, I can generate a whole bunch, but you probably have dozens of little tiny things you can do. So how can homeowners mitigate these plug loads? And, you know, as as an aside, I did a show a few weeks ago and I had 49 little plug loads in my house that were all kind of sucking power like vampires 24 hours a day. So what can people do? Yeah, so when we first started understanding this, I had my 14-year-old daughter at the time go around the house with a kilowatt meter and asked her to write down all the things she found, plug them into the kilowatt meter one by one, read how many watts this device, whatever it was with a plug, how many watts it was using uh, when it was just not really active. Uh, It wasn't uh, turned on or anything. It was just in standby mode. And I thought this project would take her a couple hours and she'd find maybe 20 or 30 things, over a course of weeks, it took her literally weeks to find everything in the house. We ended up with 93 things throughout our house. In aggregate, they were drawing over 600 watts of energy all the time, day and night, whether we were on vacation or not. There's three simple things homeowners can do with these devices. One is unplug them. If you're not using that old VCR up in the guest room and it hasn't been used for four years, just unplug it. So that's the simple one, and that uh, is incredibly effective. What's, wait, wait, Steve. What's a VCR? Yeah. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> we, that was one of the ones we had. Our VCR was drawing 17 watts, and it hadn't been used in years. It was ridiculous. I'm going to put that, that my VCR is in the same place in a closet with this thing called a DVD player. I don't know what that ah, is anymore either. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's even worse is that we go into homes or we analyze homes that have these, we call it the idle load of the house. So our idle load at that point was over 600 watts. When the home was idling, when people were away on vacation or asleep at night, not doing anything, our home was sucking 600 watts, which is a huge amount of power. So we'll analyze homes and tell them what their idle load is. On average, in the Bay Area, it's about 220 watts. Some homes are over a 1,000 watts. And when we identify those homes, we suggest that they look for certain types of devices. A common one is a whole house audio system. I don't know if you've seen them, 
but they have big amplifiers somewhere. And often the homeowners don't even know where the amp is, but they know a particular closet is always hot. Yeah, yeah. So when we, when we tell them that they need to go check that thing and plug it into a kilowatt meter, sometimes it's 300 or 500 watts. Yeah, yeah and that, it's painful. It's good. I can tell them kind of average. When I did my count, I was 232 watts of kind of always on stuff. Right on the mic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To the refrigerator. Well, yeah, and even when the refrigerator's off, it's got the little light, and my dishwasher's got that little light, my microwave's got that little light, and they're always kind of, even the coffee grinder's got a little light going. Yeah, when we looked into the 93 items in in my house at the time, we have a lot less now, but many of them you don't need to worry about. Little iPhone chargers or the generally networking equipment is very efficient, so it might just be drawing a fraction of a watt all the time. That's not what you need to worry about. It's the old TVs that are plugged in or the the, uh, teeny little dorm fridge or any of these other appliances. Some of them just use an amazing amount of power in standby mode. Yeah, we encounter that when we're talking to solar customers, and you know, we people say, oh, "I got a small house, but I don't know why I'm, you know, I've got eleven hundred kilowatt hours every single month. It's kind of crazy." Exactly. And they do have those big things hidden in a closet. Uh, we coach people to do the same thing. It's like, hey, you have a little networking audio appliance closet. And if it's warm in there, you're using a lot of juice. So the, yeah. those are tough things to kind of sort out. Okay, see, on your website, you talk about the three big categories of energy use. I, I love the way you kind of categorize these things. You've got your home, you've got your stuff, and you've got your behavior. Now, what other stuff is there that's kind of lurking in the backgrounds that people might not know about? Boy, great questions. That includes just about anything that's plugged in around the house. So it excludes the the things built into your house, like your water heater or your furnace or air conditioning, but it includes everything else that's plugged in. Some homes now have a huge variety of these things. We're talking about the heated towel racks that you see in many new homes that are always using up a whole bunch of energy just to keep your towel warm once you get out of the shower. There's uh, continuous hot water recirculation pumps, which are actually banned in the state in new homes, but we see them all the time. They're, it's legal to put them into homes if they're on a timer, but often what happens is the resident will shut down the timer by accident or in an emergency or when they had visitors present and never turn it back on. So, so hold on, let me just back up a minute. So let me understand this. We've banned quarter horsepower hot water recirculating pumps, but you can go out and buy a semi-automatic assault rifle. In California. <laughs> that's right. All right. Okay. <laughs> Boy, that's a different topic. <laughs> <laughs> this is the energy show. Just you know, no political <laughs> stuff, but okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think the CEC figured out a long time ago, the California Energy Commission, that these devices are incredibly wasteful. They're constantly circulating hot water throughout these generally copper pipes in a house, and that cools off the water every time it makes a loop. So the water heater has to work very, very hard to keep the water hot. And we've done a bunch of analysis of these devices, and they'll use upwards of $300 of electricity per year and another $300 of natural gas per year. And that's all wasted energy. It's not going towards making your shower hot. It's just uh, keeping this thing running uh, day in, day out, when you're away from the house, when you're away at work, whatever. What other sneaky infrastructure things are kind of, you know, connected to the house? They might not be plugged into an outlet. They might be hardwired. What else are you finding? 
Yeah, heated floors. So a lot of master bathrooms now have heated bathroom floors. And the problem with these is that many homeowners don't end up using them. So they turn the thermostat all the way down and assume that they're off. But many of these products are designed to come on quickly. So they have an internal check that they say, oh, okay, the thermostat's all the way down, but you never know when the homeowner's going to turn it back up. They keep the floor at a certain minimum temperature. So they're constantly drawing, in some cases, hundreds of watts wow. of power. I just assumed that when the thermostat was down, it wasn't off. That's, right. that's insane. Yeah, the nasty thing is in order to shut the thing down completely, you have to turn off the breaker. Or just buy a new thermostat with an off, hopefully. You know, I'm not sure if you can even do that with some of these floors. Huh. Huh. It's a good question. All right, what about things like pools and irrigation systems and lighting? Yeah, so when we do our analysis of the smart meter data, we break up uh, electric use into five different categories. One is heating, one is cooling. We talked about a third one, which is uh, the idle load or the always-on loads in your house. Pool pumps and other things on timers fall into the fourth category, and we call that recurring loads. And it's pretty easy to spot a home with a big old pool pump when we do our analysis because there's this giant yellow band of energy use that's going to something. We don't absolutely know it's a pool pump, but we can tell if they have a pool that there's just a huge amount of energy always being used, let's say, from 10 a.m. in the morning to 2 p.m. in the afternoon, and we can tell them exactly how much that's costing them. And the cost to upgrade to a variable-speed pump or a two-speed pump is generally paid for very quickly when you replace one of these old big pumps. Yeah, I mean, I just replaced my pool pump. It was kind of dying, so it was time in a new old house, and we put in a variable speed pump. It was about $1,600, and when I looked at the estimates for energy use of those pool pumps, I think it was about $1,100 for a regular pool pump, which is what I had per year, according to PG&E rates, and then with the variable speed pump, it was down around 400 So, you know, we're looking at a really fast payback for that. Right. So it's just like over years. two years, right. yeah. And then it was way faster because I realized the pool pump is so quiet, I can run it at night on the EV rate at $0.13 cents uh-huh. a kilowatt hour. So it went from $1,300 or 1200 per year to like 130 It was great. Yeah, you've talked about that. I know before that the the rates uh, have a huge impact on how much you're spending. So if you can run a pool pump at a lower rate at twelve cents a kilowatt hour instead of forty nine, you're saving an awful lot of money. Yeah, yeah. We also see that a lot of these pool pumps are running longer than they need to. A lot of homeowners pay someone to maintain their pool, and the pool service people are not really motivated to minimize your electric use. We found <laughs> pool pumps that are actually running continuously, twenty four hours a day, wow. just because. Because the pool cleaner said, hey, that makes my job easier. Yeah, yeah, wow, 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 wow. All right. So how do people make changes to stuff, the behavior? What can they do? Yeah, so what we try and do, the whole design goal of our system is to educate the homeowner about, or the resident, I shouldn't say homeowner because the works fine for anyone with a PG&E meter, whether they're in an apartment or a condo or a mobile home or they're renting or they own. So what we try and do is educate them about where the energy is actually going. And we do that in two ways. We'll give them the absolute to the values of each of the different load categories, how much electricity is being used in it, how much natural gas is being used. But we'll also do comparisons. And we do these comparisons based on different aspects of the house. What's the occupancy? What's the location? Some of these load categories 
are very dependent on the outside weather, for example, heating and cooling. So we make sure we take that into account. But other ones are not. It might be more related to the number of occupants in the house. So we give them a pretty good idea of how well they're doing in each category. And what generally happens is when they see a particular category, let's say it's these behavioral categories where we have a load category and say, here's how much electricity you're using due to variable actions or behavioral actions. If they're way above normal, generally what happens is they'll start thinking about what things they're doing that are not normal. And our system will show them how much it's costing them basically to leave lights on all day long or leave three TVs and a game console running all day long or whatever it is that they're doing. We can tell them how much it's costing. Usually that introduces. How should they prioritize the work? Because there's lots and lots of options. How do they figure out what to do first or next? Yeah, so our system does that. What we do is we dive into detail in the load category that is the farthest above norms for their home. And we give them a number of specific questions. Are you doing this? Do you have one of these? They're basically questions targeting that specific load category. Then we make recommendations based on their answers to those questions. And we prioritize those questions based on how much of an impact they each will have. And we do this not based on generic recommendations, like if you install 10 LEDs, you'll save this much. We do it based on their specific home's energy use and how much waste there is in each category. So we don't tell them they can save $2,000 a year if their entire bill is $2,000 a year. Right, right. And then you also know what the local fuel rates are, gas and electric, so it's going to be much more accurate. So how do people find contractors? I mean, this is kind of one of the things that I'm grappling with on my whole house electrification journey. I got the solar covered, obviously, but, but just finding contractors that are going to do these other things. How do people proceed? So within our system, we don't have recommendations for contractors. We've always taken the approach that we want to be a credible, unbiased system. So we don't recommend individual contractors. And frankly, most of our homes that we analyze don't need contractors to reduce their energy significantly. Most of the problems we find, as I mentioned, is, is related to these plug loads where there's no really no contractor needed. But when we do find that a home has heating and cooling problems, We'll point them to statewide resources for HVAC contractors. If they have a problem related to their pool, we'll point them to online resources related to pool pumps. If they are in a very high bracket for electricity and it doesn't look like there's much they can do to reduce it, to get out of that bracket, we'll point them to solar as a general mitigation strategy. Yeah, but that, we don't. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how do people get started? How can they get in touch with you at Home Energy Analytics? Is there a website, phone number? What should yeah. they do next? Absolutely. It's home intel, one word, dot H-E-A, home energy analytics, H-E-A dot com. So if they can remember that, they can type it in. It's very easy to get started. We request very little information to get started. You, the main thing is that you have to authorize our access to PG&E data. So that's a fairly simple process with PG&E using a service they have called Share My Data. It's just a couple of button clicks, and they can get started, and it's totally free. Now, the next step is you'll download that interval data, hourly, kilowatt-hour consumption, or daily natural gas use, and then your software crunches through that. Is there any charge for this service? 
No, there isn't. So as I said, we get paid by PG&E to offer this for free to everyone. And the process is fairly quick and painless. So it's not something that we're doing manually. It's an automated process. Once we've been approved, if one of your listeners goes to that homeintel.hea.com, signs up, generally we get their data and have analyzed it in less than 10 minutes. So they'll get an email from us when that's done. They click on a link in that email to get started. And it takes about 15 minutes for them to step through the main survey that educates them about their home's energy use. So once they get to that web page, they can be done in 20 minutes and have a much better understanding of how their energy use compares to others and what specific area of home energy they should be focused on. Yeah, it sounds really good because it sounds like, a, A, a heck of a lot easier, and B, a heck of a lot more accurate than a traditional energy audit, which we still have to do for every battery storage system we put in, but the, the data is pretty worthless. How did you get started with home energy analytics? It was our own high PG&E bills, actually. So it, it took me, this is around 2000, I think, I started noticing that the PG&E bills kept going up, and I didn't understand why. It took me a, quite a while to figure out that our pool pump counted for about a third of our electric bill. That was easy enough to fix, uh, as you described in your case as well. The next step was trying to figure out where all the additional energy was going, and it was all these flood loads that were very large. So I was working on a town council, working on uh, environmental issues, and got a bunch of volunteers and analyzed about a dozen other homes, and we found the exact same thing. So it wasn't heating and cooling, which is what most audits focus on. It was these other categories of energy use that have really skyrocketed in the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah, I noticed the same thing with our house because more and more stuff gets plugged in. I'm I'm doing automation to reduce my energy consumption, but (laughs) i got to account for the energy consumption of the automation itself when I look at that. That's kind of tricky. That's right. And some new products are excellent. They're very, very efficient. Even though they're plugged in all the time, they're always waiting to be activated. They're on Wi-Fi, whatever. They can be extremely efficient. Like I think I was describing less than a watt of standby power. Those are great. But for all those, there's a bunch of others that consume a tremendous amount of power. And it's very hard to tell the difference in the store. If you take them home and plug them in side by side, An easy check is to see how warm they are. You can plug in two different cable modems, put your hand on one and it's cool to the touch, put your hand on the other and it's warm. That's a very bad sign. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, 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 you could just kind of tell from the conversion of that electricity into heat how much it's wasting. All right. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks, Steve, for joining us. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcast. 